Well, good evening. How are we doing? All right. Good deal. Well, hey, uh, my name is Josh Story. I'm one of the young adult pastors here, and it's good uh, to see everybody tonight. If you will, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be hanging out in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. So um, I recently read a statistic. Uh, I'm not a big statistic guy, but I read a stat that said that the average American over the course of their working lifetime will spend 90,360 hours at their job. So 90,360 hours at your job, which maybe you hear that and you kind of throw up in your mouth a little bit because you think that's a long time to be sitting at the desk, right? Like that's, like that's not healthy, that's not okay, like that seems draining, right? Like maybe you hear that and you think, oh my gosh, that's so long, right? But my hope is that if you are a believer in this room, and side note, if you're not a believer, welcome, we're so glad that you're here. We hope this is a place where you can just come and um, ask questions and check stuff out. Um, but if you are a believer in Christ in this room, my hope is that number, 90,360 hours, my hope is that that produces joy. That produces excitement within you, and I'll tell you why. One of our biggest goals as a ministry is not just to put on some kind of Wednesday night show, not just to preach the word or help develop community, which we wanna do, right? One of our kind of big overarching goals is that we want to develop and equip and send out marketplace missionaries. We want um, this to be a room full of people who, who don't just view their job as a way to make money or a way to put food on the table, but that we view our jobs as an opportunity to, to step into a dark, dark world and be a light, right? That we view our jobs as this opportunity to, to not just tell people about the grace of Jesus Christ, but to model that on a daily basis, right? That, that we are marketplace missionaries, right? And so if that's our, our, our goal, we, we hear that number and we think, wow, 90,360 hours, that's so many opportunities to be a missionary in my workplace, right? The problem is that for a lot of us, we don't, we don't naturally think of our, our jobs in that light, right? We don't think of, oh, this is a chance for me to be a missionary where I work. No, we kind of view our jobs through the lens of, man, this job is for me. This job is to either satisfy me or this job is kind of a, a stepping stone to gain wealth or power or status, right? We don't view it through the, that, that lens, but, but what if we did? What if we were people who, who viewed our jobs not simply as a way to make money, but a way to be a light in the darkness, a way to, to, to be missionaries in the marketplace, right? So if we were to do that, I, I think a couple of things would, would happen. One, I think you would like your job a lot more. I think your job would be a lot more fun. Even if you have a lame job, right? I think you would like it more because now you have this kind of bigger overarching purpose, right? But two, and, and ironically, I think you'd actually be better at your job. I think you would be better at your job if you viewed your job as, hey, I'm here to be on mission, Right? Because one of, kind of the big ten- tensions about our jobs all kind of hinges around authority. It, it hinges on um, our uh, ability to submit to the people that God has placed in authority over us or our ability to, to exercise authority over the people that we've been given authority over. Right? And the gospel, the gospel transforms. The gospel shapes our ability to submit to authority and it transforms and shapes the way that we exercise authority. So, so what I want us to do tonight is really, really simple. I want us to, to look at this passage in Ephesians 6, and I want us to figure out how does the gospel really shape us in such a way that it changes how we submit to the authority placed over us, but also if we have authority, how does that shape the way that we exercise that authority so that we may be the most effective marketplace missionaries in the city of Fort Worth? 
Because my hope is that we are people, when people see the way that we work, when people see the way that we lead, the way that we do those things leads them to a place where they want to know about Christ, where they love Jesus more simply by the way that we work. So um, with that being said, let's dive, dive in. Well, actually, so we'll be in, be in verse, verse five. Um, but let me just give you a, a quick little kind of con- context here. Um, the, the heading here in your Bible might say slaves and masters. And so if the word slaves throws you off, it should. Um, that's a, that's a dark, dark word, right? But let me explain what's actually happening here. Um, oftentimes when, when, we, when we read the word slave in the Bible, we kind of assume that the Bible condones slavery, and it doesn't. Right? Um, what's happening here is that the Bible... It regulates slavery in, in, in certain pas- passages, but it never con- condones it. And even the slavery that it regulates isn't what we think of as slavery, right? The slavery that we tend to think of, that, that the kind of really heinous, evil um, selling and, or the capturing and selling of people, that's called chattel slavery, right? And so in, in Exodus 21 um, is, is this kind of law um, about how to regulate slavery. And in Exodus 21:16, it says, whoever steals a man and sells him or is found in possession of him, shall be put to death. So that's how we kind of define slavery, right? Well, since the beginning of time, like chattel slavery has been heinous and evil in the eyes of God. So if the death penalty was what was deserved for chattel slavery, we have to figure out, all right, what is Paul talking about here, right? What they're talking about here is is better described as indentured servitude. See, because during this time, there was a certain um, system in, in place where if you owed a large sum of money, you could sell yourself as a slave or as a servant to pay off a certain debt, right? And then eventually, you were either freed or you could choose to remain in that service if you wanted to, right? So if I owed you a ton of money and, and I couldn't pay you back, I could offer myself to you as a servant and say, hey, I will work until I pay this off, right? So um, just so we're kind of all on the same, same page and not thrown off by this word slave, he's, he's t- talking about servants and masters and that kind of working relationship and that kind of power struggle between the um, authority there. So just with a little context, that's where we're going. So um, let me read this and we'll kind of break it down. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 5, it says this. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. All right. So what Paul does here is he lays out instructions for um, both people who are under authority and those who have the ability to exercise authority. And and he gives very clear descriptions of what that looks like. So so tonight, let me just just kind of break down what it looks like to be um, an employee and what it looks like to be a a boss or a leader, right? So I'll I'll start with this this idea of what it looks like to be an employee or, or someone who is under authority, which I would assume is the majority of us in the room, right? Because if you can say, hey, I'm my own boss, and that's not code for I don't have a job, um, then, uh, then, then, then you are a lucky person. I'm, I'm amazed. I want to hear your story about how you did that. Um, but for the majority of us, right, we, we probably have a job where, where we work under somebody. We are under the authority of somebody. And so the question is, how do we become marketplace missionaries who, who work in such a way where the gospel transforms the way that we submit to authority? And so what Paul starts off is he says, um, we have one clear command, and that's to obey. That's to obey, 
He says, if you can do one thing, I want you to obey. Now, that may sound really bottom shelf. That may sound really basic, really kind of, all right, well, okay, right? But there's a little trick when you read the Bible. When, when scripture calls you to do something, it's usually because you're not naturally good at it, right? Like it's this reminder of saying, hey, do this because you're, you're not great at it, right? And so, and so that may sound basic, but if we're to be honest with ourselves, we're not really all that good at obeying, especially when we look at kind of the way that Paul describes this like, idea of obedience. So um, for instance, the word that Paul uses here for obey is a word in the Greek that means to hearken. And so it focuses more on the idea of listening. And he says, if you are under the authority of somebody, the way that you are to respond, if the gospel has shaped you, you are to listen and respond. You are to listen and to go and do. So what Paul is saying is that, man, the most effective way that you can be a marketplace missionary is if you simply do what your boss tells you to do. Like if your boss says, hey, I need you to be at work at 8 o'clock, show up at 8 o'clock. Not 8.05, not 8.07, no, like 8 o'clock. If, if your boss says, hey, um, I need this done by this certain time, and turn your work in on time. If your boss says, hey, I, like, I, I need you to follow a certain dress code, even if you think that dress code is stupid, you abide because that's honoring. That is being obedient the way that Paul calls us to be, right? Now, um, he, he doesn't just leave it there, right? He doesn't just leave it with, hey, just go obey because that's kind of vague. So let me kind of break down more specifically what Paul calls us to. We're going to see three specific things that Paul calls us in order that we may be marketplace um, missionaries. And so the first thing he says is that we are to obey when the boss isn't looking. We are to obey when the boss isn't looking. He says that you are to obey your earthly masters, right? And then in verse 6 he says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Right? That word for eye service is a word that means when eyes are on you. So what he's saying is, hey, don't just obey when the eyes are on you, right? Because, because everyone does that. Like, like you're, you're not very smart if you disobey when, like, the boss is looking, right? But the question is, are you obeying when the boss isn't in the room, right? Like, so, so are you that guy or that girl who, man, you are a team player, right? You are rah, rah, let's go when the boss is in the room. But when the boss leaves, man, you are divisive. That's the question that we have, have to ask. Are we, are we obedient when the boss isn't looking? So, you know, are we the person who, man, I mean, oh, my gosh, your ideas are amazing. That's, that's all creative and innovative. And then when they leave the room, all of a sudden, it's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Right? Like, like what are we doing behind closed doors? Like, do we have the integrity to obey when the boss isn't looking? Right? Now, now here's why this is so important. You might be the only believer that some of your coworkers ever meet or ever really know, right? And the way that you respond to stuff like this behind closed doors is telling of how the gospel has shaped you, right? Because, because your boss may never know what you're like behind closed doors, but your coworkers do. And so if we wanna be marketplace missionaries, man, are we in a place where we're willing to be submissive and obey when the boss isn't looking? And here's the deal. You're, you're going to have a boss at some point in time that you don't agree with. You're going to have a boss that, that does something or, or asks you to do something that you think is beneath you or um, be, below your pay, pay grade or something that you just think is stupid, right? And how you respond in, the, in those moments is incredibly telling. Because if we've actually been shaped by the gospel, then what that does is that produces within us this sense of, man, I don't necessarily agree with this, but, but I love the God 
who has placed this person in authority over my life. And so out of a love for him, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be submissive. I'm going to follow this lead because that's what allows the people around me to see a life that's been transformed and shaped by the gospel. Right? But Paul doesn't just say that we should obey when the boss isn't looking. He also says that we should obey with passion. That, he, that we should obey with passion. Um, in verse 6, it says, it says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. All right, that, that, that phrase, from the heart, is really, um, really crucial here. Right? Because in the Greek, there, there are several words for heart. And so the word for physical heart is cardia, which is where we get the word cardio. Right? That's our kind of physical heart. But Paul doesn't use that word here. Paul uses the Greek word suke, um, which means the soul. He says, you are to do your work. You are to obey in such a way that, that you are doing it from the heart, from the soul. There's a sense of passion and a sense of zeal that, that moves you, right? Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Two things. One, um, people are drawn to passionate people, right? Like when you are passionate, people want to know, man, where does that passion come from? How are you so passionate about stuff, even if you have a really lame job, even more so, right? So, I mean, how can you be so passionate about this, right? If you walk into work and you're always like moping around and complaining about stuff, you're not gonna have very, very many conversations because people don't like to talk to mopey people, right? So, so one, there's a sense of just that, that posture of passion draws people in. But here's, here's the, the more important reason. When we are too busy just being not passionate about stuff, we miss a phenomenal opportunity to be marketplace missionaries because we're too busy feeling bad about our circumstances. So let me kind of explain it like, like this. There is a, a lie that our generation has, has been fed that is detrimental. And it's the idea that our jobs are actually ultimately designed to fulfill or satisfy us. Because that's not true. For, for a long time, the, the, the understanding was your job is designed to put food on the table and a roof over your head. But somewhere along the way, we began to believe, no, 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 my job is not to provide for me or my family. My job is designed to, like, fulfill me, to make me satisfied. So what happens is that we go to college, we spend four years studying something specific. We get that job, and we're stoked because we're, we're just going to rock it because we spent four years studying it, right? And we show up, and we're excited for about two weeks. And then two weeks in, we realize that the job, and we think, this kind of blows. Like, this is actually the worst thing I've ever done in my, my entire, entire life. Like, 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 they made me sit here in a cube from eight o'clock to five o'clock with only one hour break, are you serious? Like, like do, do they know that I have a college degree? Like this is, this is ridiculous, right? Like we, we buy this idea, okay, no, this is, this is dumb. And so what happens is that somewhere along the line we realize, oh, well, this job doesn't satisfy me. I must have gotten the wrong job. You know what, I may have gotten in the wrong industry. What I really need is I need that job or ooh, I need that industry. So what happens is that we, we just kind of do our time for the next two years just waiting to build enough experience so that we're qualified to get another job in another industry. And we spend all this time just not being passionate about what we're doing, just kind of looking inward at ourselves, feeling bad for ourselves that this job doesn't satisfy us. And the entire time, there's an office around you of people who are in desperate need of Jesus. And we miss it. And so if we're so busy just feeling bad for ourselves, what happens is we don't look up. We don't look up to see, oh my gosh, no, my job is to be a light in the darkness. Like how gracious is God that I have a job that pays my bills. And while I'm paying for my bills, I get to enter into the lives of these people. 
that I get to be salt and light. I get to be someone who introduces them to the grace of Jesus Christ. Man, our, our job should be marked by passion. And, and maybe that passion isn't your actual job. Maybe it's just the passion of knowing that you get to wake up every day and go hang out with non-believers. Like, me and Ben talk all the time. Do you know how hard it is for us to, like, work with non-believers? They don't work at churches, usually. Sometimes they sneak in there, but not usually, right? Right? And so even for us, man, like, like when, when we talk to someone who, who, who doesn't know Jesus, what typically happens is they assume that we have an agenda. They say, oh, the pastor, okay, he wants to save me. Okay, cool, right? But you get to just go hang out with people who don't know Christ, people who are, who are hopeless, who, who are just broken. Man, don't let the, the, the lack of passion, the lack of zeal move you to a place where you miss opportunities to share the life-changing truth of the gospel. But thirdly, Paul says that we are to obey when the boss isn't looking, to obey with passion. But lastly, we're to obey with generosity. We're to obey with generosity. Check out verse 7. It says, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Right, this word right here for rendering service with goodwill. It's a word for goodwill is a word in the Greek that means to be benevolent. It means to be charitable. It means to be generous. And so what this means is that when we obey, we don't just do the bare minimum. We are generous. We go above and beyond. Right? Now, here's, here's the thing. Some of you might have a boss who's kind of a chump. And you might think, this person doesn't deserve my best. So I'm gonna just get by. I'm gonna do the bare minimum. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna do what's, what's asked, asked of me, but I'm, I'm not gonna go above and beyond for him. Are you serious? I'm not gonna work weekends for, her, for him or for her. Like, I'm not gonna stay late. No, I'm gonna do what I need to get it done and then be over with. That's not what we're called to. That doesn't look like Christ. We are called to be generous with our time and with our gifts and with our talents. So even if someone doesn't even deserve it, because maybe, right, maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe they are a horrible leader, a horrible boss. Which happens? Your call as a marketplace missionary, someone who's been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is to say, hey, I'm not just gonna be obedient. I'm gonna be obedient to the point where I'm pouring out all of myself. I'm, I'm laying it all out on the field. You know why? Because that's our story. That, that's the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is the story that we have received the one thing that we could not earn and definitely did not deserve. And that's a right relationship with God. Because our sin fractures our relationship with God, right? And so when you commit treason against the king of the universe, the, the penalty for that treason is death. And so what happens is that God says, hey, no, I love you too much to leave you where you are, so I'm gonna allow my son to step in and die that death for you. So we have a God who, despite the fact that we didn't earn it, we definitely didn't deserve it, he was generous with his son. He was generous with his grace. He was generous with his mercy. He was generous with his compassion and kindness and patience. So for us, the way that we model that in the workplace as we say, hey, you might not deserve it, but I'm going to give everything I have for you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to do whatever you ask with generosity because that's what my God has done for me. Do, do you see how the gospel begins to shape just the way that we work? Do you, do you see how the gospel has the ability to transform what our workplace looks like? 
Because if you go to work and you are um, full of integrity and passion and generosity, people are going to take notice. And the gospel is, is, should be the thing that, that shapes us, that shapes how we submit to those who are in authority over us. Now, real quick, as we close, let me kind of unpack the, the other side of this, right? The idea of, um, of, of, of leading others. Right, because some of you are, are in a place where, where God has graciously allowed you to have authority over others, and that is a privilege. Hear me say that. If, if you are in charge of other people, if you have the, the ability to lead others, that is not a right. That is not an entitlement because you've paid your dues. That is a privilege and a joy that should not be taken lightly. And the gospel should drastically change the way that you lead or you exercise authority because that almost above anything else, can, can be the phenomenal way to be a marketplace missionary. So what Paul lays out for people who lead is he says that we should lead with grace and not intimidation. We should lead with grace and not intimidation. Check out verse 9. It says, masters, leaders, people who are in authority, to do the same to them, honor the people that work for you, and stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. He says, lead with, with, with grace and not intimidation. So, um, I would assume, I'm, I know a lot of you guys, I love you guys, and so I'm gonna assume that, that the majority of the people in this room, like you're not gonna lead with intimidation on purpose. You're not gonna lead with intimidation just um, because you think that's the best leadership tactic, right? But we're all sinners here, right? And so sometimes in, in the midst of just a stressful job, in the midst of a season where there's just pressure on you to perform, to excel, to produce results, Sometimes we lead out of the flesh and not out of a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. Right? Sometimes we just lead out of the flesh. And when we lead out of the flesh, what happens is we tend to just kind of intimidate and threaten and to lead in a way that looks nothing like the God who has gone to great lengths to save us. Right? So um, let me kind of uh, give you an illustration of how, how this plays out. There's a, a, a pastor named Andy Stanley who um, has an illustration of this, and I stole it because um, he's awesome. But um, when I saw this, this, this really shaped the way, the way that I lead my, my team. So what he explains is that when you lead, there are expectations. Right? There, there are things that you expect of your people, and then there are the actual experience of what happens. Right? And oftentimes, there is a gap between what you expect and what you experience, right? So like if I say, hey, um, I, I need you to finish this thing by Thursday. My expectation is that you're gonna finish it by Thursday. And then when Thursday comes, I'm like, hey, how did that thing, thing go? And this person says, oh, I forgot. That creates a gap, right? Because I expected you to have it done by Thursday. Or if I say, hey man, I really need you to bring your A game on this presentation. Right? And they show up and they're not prepared. They have no clue what they're talking about. That creates this gap between my expectation as a leader and my experience. Right? And so here's, here's the point. As a leader, whatever you fill that gap with is telling of how well the gospel has transformed your heart and life. Right? What you fill that gap with is telling of what the gospel is doing in, in your heart. Because when we kind of naturally, instinctually, sinfully lead from the flesh, what happens is that we fill that gap with intimidation, right? We fill that gap with, are you serious? Like, I asked you to do this. Like, can you not do this job? Because if you can't do this job, then I can find someone who, who can do this job for you. Like, do you, do you really wanna be here? Because I can find someone who wants to be here. Do you know how many people would kill to be in your position? 
right? That's just kind of what comes out of us. Or if it's not this, this kind of active intimidation, it's just this really silent, passive, I'm just gonna give them the cold shoulder, which might be even worse because your team knows something's wrong. I don't know what I did, but something's off, right? And you just kind of slowly, quietly just kind of freeze them out. Why? Because we're leaving from the flesh. But what we're called here is not to leave with intimidation. We're called to fill that gap with something different. We're called to fill that gap with grace. We're called to fill that gap with grace. And so what that looks like is that in those moments when, when you are leading people, and this is if you're like at a job or in college or leading any sort of organization, when you step in and, and something goes awry and your experience does not line up with your expectation, you step in there and you don't threaten, you ask questions. You say, hey man, I noticed that uh, things didn't really pan out the way that we thought they would. And like, here's the deal. I, I, I know you, man. You're so good at what you do. And so I know that this doesn't like you. And help me understand what happened here. Let's, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's ask why. Let's, let's try and figure out what went wrong. Man, man, are you okay? Is everything okay at home? Is everything okay? Like, like, help me understand what's happening here. We step in and we fill that gap with grace. Why? Because this is the picture of the gospel. See, because our God has certain expectations. Our God has this expectation of us, and that expectation is to be obedient. Right? So, so we have a God who has um, wired the world to work in a very specific way for, for our joy and his glory. And all he asks of us through his word is he graciously gives us his word and says, hey, if you trust me enough to believe that I'm not holding out on you and you obey me, I will show you how to navigate the world that I've created for your joy. If you just trust me enough and you obey, man, I want you to experience the fullness of joy, the fullness of life that I've laid out for you. What do we typically do? Say, nah, I don't trust you enough to obey, so I'm gonna go do it my way. And what happens is that there's this gap between what God calls us to and what we actually do. And so if I can speak for me, I mean, I, like, I am horrible at this. Like, I've been following Christ for a long time, and I still, I fall woefully short every single day. Like, like I know what God calls me to, and I still, I fall short every single day. And you know what? God doesn't fill that gap with intimidation. And he could. I mean, he's God, right? Like, God could easily fill that gap with, are you serious, bro? Like, how long have you been following me? Is this still a struggle? I mean, how many times have we had this back and forth? How many times have we had this conversation? I can't believe that you're still struggling with that, that you're still falling short in that area. Man, I'm at the end of my rope with you. But he doesn't do that. He fills that gap with grace. He fills that gap with peace and compassion and patience and kindness and mercy. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago, he filled that gap with Jesus Christ. And he said, hey, I know you're going to fall short. Like, I know what I'm getting myself to do. I know you're going to fall woefully short, but that's okay because I don't fall short. And my son is going to step in the gap, and he's going to take your place. And so when I see you, I don't see your sin or your guilt or your shame. I see Jesus and what he has done for you. So can you imagine if you were to lead your people in a way where they got to see the gospel in the way that you interacted with them on a daily basis? Because this doesn't mean that we don't discipline people. This doesn't mean that we don't address problems or that we just kind of roll over and turn a blind eye to what's happening. Now that's, that's poor, poor leadership. What this means is that we step into those gaps. We step into those problems with grace rather than intimidation. 
And if you've ever worked for anybody, like, wouldn't you love to work for a person who stepped in and filled that gap with grace? Because this allows us to model for the world the gospel. So man, my hope is, is that as we're kind of walking through this, that, that we are the best employees, the best leaders, the best bosses in the city of Fort Worth because what this means is that when we are, when the gospel is transforms the way that we submit to authority and the way that we exercise authority, what happens is that we get to be people who clearly display the grace of our God. And that looks drastically different from everything else in the working world. Now, here's the hard part. We work with or work for people, right? And people are sinners. And so as a result, there are going to be days when they sin against you. And you think, I don't want to obey today. I don't want to fill that gap with grace. I just want to fill that gap with wrath, right? There will be days when there's just something in you that says, I don't want to obey. I don't want to be gracious. I don't want to look like Jesus today, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. But in those moments, our call is to remember what we're called to. It's to remember that we have this phenomenal once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be marketplace missionaries. That we get to interact with people in our cubes or in our offices or wherever. And the gospel should be the thing that transforms the way that we submit to authority and the way that we exercise it for the glory of God. So my hope is that we're people who use those 90,360 hours to be people who look like Jesus. Let me pray. Father, you are so gracious to us. You are a God who, um, to be honest, I, I know there are moments in time when I just kind of take the gospel for granted that it just kind of becomes white noise, but Father, it should shape everything about me. So Father, will you forgive me for the moments when, when I just let the gospel just become old news? And will you continue to mold me and shape me and for my brothers and sisters in the room, Will we be a people who look drastically different? May we be people who are the best employees, the best bosses, the best leaders. May we be people who have a work ethic like nobody else, an obedience like nobody else because we know that ultimately we're, we're working for you. And our hope and our goal is to see the city of Fort Worth transformed for your glory. Father, in, in the moments when we just don't want to obey, when we just don't want to lead out well, when we don't want to be gracious, God, will you give us the ability by the power of your Holy Spirit to look like you. God, we love you so much. Thank you for modeling for us what it looks like to, to love people with grace and compassion. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen.